This is Carl Hughes with Town Square Media, your host for Issues and Answers. Issues and Answers is a public affairs program for Western Colorado. Residents and members of our community tell us what concerns they have, and from that feedback, we identify significant issues to include in our weekly programs. Today, my guest is Sam Cole, Traffic Safety Communications Manager for the Colorado Department of Transportation. Today, we'll be discussing safe driving in Colorado, recent traffic fatality numbers, and steps to help improve driving safety. Sam, welcome to Issues and Answers. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Now, I know overall the traffic fatalities in Colorado rose in 2021 to what looks like a 20-year high. Is there one main reason for this, or are there a variety of factors that are impacting this? You know, we started seeing some red flags in 2020. We saw far fewer cars on the road, on the roadway because of the pandemic, but we did see an increase in fatalities in 2020, and we were really puzzled by that. And I think it had a lot to do with the fact that fewer cars on the road meant people were driving faster. We actually saw a record number of uh, motorcycle deaths in 2020. But we thought when we got into 2020, um, with traffic returning to normal levels, people's speeds going down, people getting back to work, um, that we'd see traffic fatalities decrease. Well, they didn't. They continued to increase last year. People continued um, to drive impaired. We saw an increase in the number of drivers that were driving impaired. We saw Seatbelt use fall a little bit. Um, we saw those motorcycle deaths continue to rise. We saw a lot of extreme speeding. That same extreme speeding that we saw in 2020 continued in 2021. We're just really puzzled by this whole thing that um, some of these bad behaviors on our roadways have continued. So there's lots of reasons it sounds like. Maybe we can talk about some of those individually. I know impaired driving is more than just drunk driving, and it? it can include other impairments, drugs, marijuana, things like that. Absolutely. I mean, when people think of um, impaired driving, and we try to use the word impaired driving and not drunk driving anymore because impairment can involve prescription drugs. It can involve illegal drugs like cocaine, crystal meth. Indeed, one-third of the traffic deaths that we see on our roadways every year in Colorado involve an impaired driver. So this is just a huge, huge problem. Um, We're also seeing a a growing problem with people that combine alcohol with other drugs, such as marijuana and um, prescription medications. And when you combine alcohol with other drugs, it really amplifies that impairment. Some people think, oh, I'll, I'll... get drunk, and then I'll kind of take the buzz off by getting high, and nothing further from the truth. You are just extremely impaired if you combine um, alcohol with other substances. And apparently, well, not apparently, probably obviously, your ability to make a rational choice and decision is also impaired, and that leads to the, the driving while impaired. Yeah, that is why it's so important for people around you to take away the keys or make sure you get home safely because you are not in a position to decide if you are if you can drive. Now, I know drunk driving and driving while under the influence of alcohol. In the field, the state patrol or whoever it might be in law enforcement, besides a field sobriety test, also can do a breathalyzer. What types of tests are available? I mean, how do we detect whether there's drugs or marijuana in impaired drivers? 
Well, no one is no one is pulled over for being drunk or being impaired. They're they're pulled over for a traffic offense. They're they're weaving or doing something strangely on our roads. They're breaking the law. They're pulled over. So the officer has no idea is this person um, drunk or is he high or is he um, taking too much of a prescription medication. So um, yes, there is a device, the breathalyzer that um, somebody can use to uh, that the officer can give to the person to see if they're. Um, above the legal limit, but there's no device to see if they're above the legal limit for cannabis or active THC. So um, officer really um, has to depend on his skills to observe that impairment. Does he smell marijuana? Is the, uh, the person's um, eyes bloodshot? Is their gaze um, in their eyes? Um, is, that not sta- is that stagnant? Um, there's all sorts of tests that um, an officer and observations an officer can make to articulate impairment by drugs. Now, the legalization of marijuana in Colorado, and I know we've got a lot of dispensaries. I had seen on your press release we've got more dispensaries than we have Starbucks in Colorado, which made me pause for a moment. (laughs) Yep. So has all of this availability of marijuana actually had an increase in the accident specifically related to impairment for marijuana use? Well, the simple answer to that is no. We have not seen a spike in fatalities that involve marijuana since legalization. But we do see people um, that are driving high that get into crashes and kill people. And it's something that um, we've been trying to address all along. You know, just because we legalize marijuana doesn't mean people started driving high. They were driving high before legalization. So um, what legalization has done, it's brought some money into our pockets to be able to educate people about the dangers of driving under the influence of marijuana. It's allowed us to um, train the law enforcement officers that I was mentioning to be able to identify people who are impaired by marijuana during a traffic stop. So it's really um, benefited, I think, in the long run safety on our roadways as far as education and enforcement with those marijuana cash tax funds. But we do see about 5 to 8% of the fatalities on our roadways involve a driver who's, who is impaired by, um, by marijuana. And uh, we are tackling that with uh, traffic safety education campaigns every year. Let's move on then to seatbelt usage, which is also a contributing factor, I know, in traffic fatalities. Is seatbelt compliance, I know it's a law, is compliance improving or is it declining? Well, really neither, Carl. Um, it's plateaued at about 86, 87% of people in Colorado buckle up. That's below the national average of 90%, but also way below what other states are achieving uh, states like, um, you know, Oregon and California and Hawaii are close to 100% seatbelt use. And Colorado is just kind of stuck at about 86, 87%. And it's really difficult getting those last 10 to 15% of people to, to buckle up. Um, we see about 200 people saved every year because they are buckled up there living, breathing, and alive because they were buckled up in a crash, and we just see way too many people, as any law enforcement officer will tell you, that are killed in crashes because they are not buckled up. And what a tragic statistic because it's so preventable. It is so preventable, and anybody that buckles up, it becomes second nature. You just you don't even realize you're doing it. And we do hear a lot of excuses from people. They say, well, um, one of the main excuses is, 
I'm not affecting anybody but myself, and it's my my personal choice to to buckle up. Well, Colorado does have a seatbelt law. Um, people to know that first and foremost. But you know, you're not necessarily going to be killed. It's not like you just don't buckle up and then it's your choice and you die. Most people who don't buckle up, they are seriously injured, which has devastating economic and financial costs on families, not to mention the trauma and the life um, lifetime of pain and suffering that you have to undergo because you weren't buckled up in that crash. You know, these serious injuries can be permanent and affect you for your life. Healthcare bills are just are astronomical in, the, in these cases. So, it affects your family, it affects your community, it affects your job, um, and it is, as you say, so preventable. Now, I also see on your website and through information that you send out, there are statistics for fatalities and accidents involving distracted driving. Now, I would assume that includes texting while driving, but what else is encompassed or is covered in the definition of distracted driving? Yeah, well, we think the yeah we think the number of distracted driving deaths in Colorado are are really underreported because it's hard to know what was happening in a crash right before it happened. You know, was the person on their phone? Were, were they um, eating? That sort of thing. But distracted driving is a pretty broad term that involves taking your hands off the wheel to say eat, um, taking your eyes off the road to talk to passengers or to text, or even just take your mind off the task of driving, such as you're on the phone and you're, you're maybe having a, an intense argument with your, with your child or your spouse or something. All three things can be very dangerous, and they take your, 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 your task, what you're doing, off of driving, and that is so dangerous. Well, and I would wonder if the wonderful technology that has changed a lot, what we're looking at at the dashboard of a car, from GPSs to entertainment systems to touch screens to be able to work with, that seems like that might have a negative effect on all of this as well because we're distracted just by the technology in our own car. Yeah, I mean, cars can do far more than they ever used to. So that's why it's so important if you do get a new vehicle to make sure that you're familiar with where all the controls are, what button to press, try to get all those buttons pressed and get everything good to go before you move that vehicle, before you step on the gas. Because if you're doing it while you're driving, um, chances are you're taking your eyes off the road, and that's very dangerous. Statistics are always interesting, and there's always much more to them than just the pure, simple facts of where we're pulling the statistics, as in seatbelts, distracted driving, whatever it may be. Is this increase in overall traffic fatalities, can it be attributed in any way to Colorado drivers simply driving more miles each year? Can that account for some of the increase? No, we definitely monitor that rate of traffic fatalities in Colorado. And no, (laughs) fatalities in Colorado have increased 50% over the last 10 years. Driving has not increased by 50%. Our population has not increased by 50%. We are just seeing more of those bad behaviors on our roadways that we really, really need to get um, to get a hold of and try to address. Um, you know, the population of Colorado increases maybe about one to two percent each each year. It's not because of population or people driving more. It's because people are just making some bad decisions out there. The statistics we're talking about motor vehicles, and I think in most of our minds that's what we're thinking about is an automobile or a similar, you know, pickup truck, some type of other motor vehicle. 
Are the statistics that we're looking at, do they include other vehicles such as motorcycles, bicycles, or even pedestrians who are killed by a motor vehicle? Yeah, they do. I mean, they in, they include any sort of roadway user. And, um, you know, bicycles and motorcycles and pedestrians, they have a right to use our roads every um, bit as much as a driver does. And um, But I'm glad you mentioned this because we are seeing a, a big increase. Probably the biggest increase in traffic deaths involve people that are outside the vehicle, the motorcyclist, the bicyclist, and the pedestrian, especially for pedestrians. You know, we saw 90 pedestrians. That's on average one to two every week killed in Colorado. And that has a lot to do with people just driving too fast. They're distracted. They're not paying attention. And, um, you know, the pedestrian really counts on you to see them as they're crossing the road. And uh, sometimes drivers just don't, and they aren't paying attention, and they make a fatal mistake. And there's a lot we can do from a CDOT perspective to design our roads to be safer, you know, for pedestrians, better lighting, better intersections, getting people to slow down in urban areas. All of those things can can help pedestrians because we know that drivers do make mistakes. And that's why we need to design our roads for those drivers who make those mistakes by getting better signage, better lighting, better striping on our roads, everything that will help um, elevate pedestrian safety. But those motorcycles, you know, we saw a record number of motorcycles killed in, um, in 2020. 140 motorcyclists were killed. And a lot of those have to do with both motorcyclists, you know, not wearing helmets or just going too fast. But it has a lot to do with drivers that just aren't paying attention. Again, not paying attention. Um, most of these motorcyclists are killed at intersections where drivers will pull out without really checking that motors, that intersection for, for motorcycles. They just say, oh, I don't see any cars coming. And uh, they don't happen to notice that motorcycle that's coming. And they pull out right in front of the motorcycle. And that's bad news for, for, the, for the guy on the bike. For those that might be just joining us, I'm Carl Hughes with Townsquare Media. You're listening to Issues and Answers. Today, we're visiting with Sam Cole, the Traffic Safety Communications Manager for the Colorado Department of Transportation. We're visiting a lot about safe driving in Colorado, traffic fatalities, and how we all can step up and do our part to make you know our own lives safer as well as those around us. I guess from what you just said, I think it'd be fair to generalize and say the majority of traffic fatalities are just caused by drivers who are making poor decisions, poor decisions to drive while impaired, poor decision not to buckle up, poor decision to text or, you know, bend over and pick up something that just spilled on the floor. Is, is that a fair thing to say? It's poor decisions overall? It, it is poor decisions. And, you know, driving is probably the most dangerous thing any of us will do in a single day. You know, we there's 120,000 crashes every year in Colorado. And, you're going to be um, hard-pressed to go through your life and not be in one or two crashes. You want to do um, everything you can to prevent that because your insurance rates go, go up. You're, um, of course, there's always the, the chance that you could be severely injured. So you got to do everything you can possibly do to, to minimize um, what happens in that crash. And we do know that, you know, we know that humans make errors. We're error-prone. That's why we need to do everything we can to protect ourselves by never driving impaired, staying off our phones, and always buckling up. And um, the things, our cars are designed to account for that human error. They have airbags, they have anti-lock brakes, they have 
Some of the newer cars have blind spot monitoring, so our cars are getting smarter and safer, which is great to address that human error. Our roads are getting better. You know, we've got uh, those rumble strips in case we happen to drift off the side of the road. So things are um, things are trying to address that human error. But in the end, it's our personal accountability that matters. And I really appreciated the statement you made because I think most of us don't think about this or realize this. Driving our cars is really the most dangerous thing we'll do in any given day. And yeah, I think that's just an important message that we remember. As far as statistics, is it more in rural areas, more in metro areas? Where is there any distinction between traffic fatalities or are people's behaviors and poor driving or whatever it might be higher because they're in the country and you know away from a larger source of population? Or is there any distinction? Yeah. Well, it's pretty split between urban and rural areas of Colorado as far as the number of fatalities. But um, we have seen um, per mile traveled, rural areas tend to be more dangerous. And I think that may have a lot to do with the fact that people in rural areas drive at higher speeds because the roads are are more wide open. Uh, There's less traffic signals. The roads tend to be two-lane roads without dividers on them, and all those things mean that uh, when a crash happens that it could be very severe. And then after a crash happens, it's going to take longer for first responders to get there, which could end up leading to an increased loss of life. And also there's, you know, those rural areas, they don't have very many of the level one trauma centers that you really need in, in the event of, of a severe crash. So that's why whenever I talk to people in rural areas, I say that's it's so incredibly important. You do everything you can to protect yourself because it's going to be a while before law enforcement and first responders get to the scene of a crash. So just make sure you're buckled up and you're, you keep your speeds down and you never drive impaired. Well, and that makes me think of another question about seatbelt use and both with rural and urban, but even more directly for the type of road that we're driving on. I wonder if people are more likely to bump buckle up on an interstate versus a a paved country road? They are. They're more than likely to buckle up on an interstate, and that's great, but people really need to be buckling up um, just as much close to home. Most traffic crashes happen within five miles of your house. So even though those roads might have fairly low speed limits because you're just going around town, you need to make sure you're buckled up because statistically, that's where that crash is going to happen. So we say no matter um, how long, how short the trip is, always buckle up. Yeah, again, another question that occurs to me, again, back to seatbelt usage, to people who are traveling close to home, they may not be going more than 30 or 40 miles an hour. Do people make a decision on seatbelt use sometimes just based on the speed they're going to be traveling? They do. They do. They think that, um, well, I can't be killed if I'm you know, not buckled up, if I'm only going 30 40 miles per hour, but yeah, you can, you know, anything over 20 miles per hour, 20, 30 miles per hour. If you're, if somebody hits you head on and they're going 40, 50, you could very well be killed if you're not buckled up. So we just say, no matter what speed you're going, no matter how far you're going, just buckle up. It's the safest thing to do. And I don't know if there's a good answer for this one, but how about seatbelt use by type of vehicle is a soccer mom more likely in their minivan to buckle up than say a, a guy driving his pickup truck? Yeah, historically, we actually do seatbelt studies every year to see um, how much people buckle up and uh, based on vehicle type. 
SUVs um, over the last 10 years have seen high buckle-up rates, um, even still lower than the national average. But what's really interesting, especially for your neck of the woods, is pickup truck drivers, their um, seatbelt use rate just in the last couple of years has increased by 10%. That's phenomenal news. We think that's great because, you know, pickup trucks um, and other vehicles, higher center of gravity, they're more likely to roll over in a crash. That's why it is so important that especially owners of trucks buckle up. We're glad to see trucks and SUVs and even smaller vehicles. Everybody is starting to buckle up more than they used to. You know, back in the back in the 1980s and 90s, before there was a seatbelt law in Colorado, we saw seatbelt use rates of about 60%. Now we're close to 90% in Colorado. And a lot of that has to do with people just using common sense that, yes, I know my seatbelt can actually save my life. And are other people out there that are more pragmatic about it, pragmatic about it. They just don't want to get a ticket for not buckling up. Well, and hopefully awareness changes generationally. And as we continue to go on in time, hopefully we're getting smarter about this. Absolutely. I think, you know, we do these awareness campaigns every year about um, why it is so important um, to prioritize traffic safety in your life. And people are starting to get it. And um, I think this information was just not out there when we were growing up. And now it is. Kids learn about it growing up in schools. We have all sorts of public service announcements that are educating adults. And we're definitely moving in the right direction. Just It's just frustrating that we're not going as fast. We, you know, we lose almost 700 lives in the state every year in traffic crashes. And that is just such so tragic. Well, let's kind of use that as a springboard to talking about some good news or the big picture of the success story of changing. I am so ashamed to admit that my son, who is now in his 40s, used to ride unrestrained in the vehicle when we were traveling around, including at highway speeds. You know, we're foolish, but we're also we're not very well informed. And so grateful am I that things have improved along that way. So maybe you can touch on that a little bit. The fact that this all seems pretty negative, the things we're talking about, but overall, we've made some amazing progress, haven't we? Yeah. I mean, how far we have come. I mean, I think um, when it comes to car seats, basically every everybody puts their kid in a car seat. I mean, that's unheard of not to have your, your kid in a car seat. So that's awesome. And that has a lot to do with our, our car seat laws in the state, as well as um, public awareness. And then moving on to impaired driving. You know, it, it used to be back in the 1980s that um, you were pulled over for driving drunk and the officer just maybe took you down to the local coffee shop, popped, you know, dropped you off and told you to walk home. Now, if you're because of laws, strong laws about what you have to do, if you pull over somebody who's impaired, you end up in jail. You end up losing your license. You end up paying close to $13,000 in fines and penalties. Consequences because of our laws um, are much more severe, and that has really reduced the number of impaired driving crashes in the state by about half in the last 20 to 30 years. Seatbelts, people used to just not buckle up. Um, we saw seatbelt use rates in the state, 60 65%. Thanks to our seatbelt law, we're now approaching 90%. That is saving a lot of lives, and it's saving society a lot of cost, a lot of health care costs, a lot of it's saving families a lot of health care costs, and a lot of pain and suffering, you know, really having an impact even on our local volunteer EMS teams. You know, they want you to be buckled up. They don't have a lot of, a lot of money to be going out to these crash scenes to be tending to people that um, just aren't behaving responsibly. And last, one that I'm most excited about involves teens. 
we used to see a lot of teenagers killed in crashes just because um, they were because of their inexperience. And now we've got special laws, special rules that apply to new teen drivers. They can um, they're not allowed to have any um, passengers in that vehicle um, for the first year. Um, unless it's a family member, they're not allowed to be on their phones. There's a mandatory requirement that they buckle up. This has decreased the number of teens killed in crashes in Colorado by 50% just over the last 10 to 15 years. And then some of the regulation that applies to our vehicles. All vehicles have to have airbags. Um, they have to have anti-lock brakes. All those, all those things are also saving lives. But we're not saving enough lives, so there's more work to do. Just positive things that you're listing there that we've made a lot of the right choices as a society and we're heading in the right direction. As far as 2022, you know, I assume you guys are able to do more informational things. Are there any specific programs or anything in place that's going to help as we continue into the new year as far as helping reduce these fatalities and increase awareness? Yeah, so I've received I've received some uh, federal grant funds, a couple million dollars, to put out some public service announcements to educate um, Coloradans about the importance of never driving impaired, don't drive distracted, stay off your phone, um, buckle up, that sort of thing. So look for those awareness campaigns. We're actually launching one on pedestrian safety in February. Law enforcement, they're going to be out there. Um, they're ramping up enforcement across the state. State Patrol has got a very strategic program that they're going to be launching. You know, we have 16 high-visibility enforcement periods for impaired driving coming up this year. There's three click-it-or-ticket enforcement periods that are coming up. And then um, then that's kind of the third leg of the stool is, um, is engineering. You know, CDOT continues to improve striping on our roadways, getting more rumble strips, getting more guardrail out there. All those things are going to be happening this year, and we're hoping that um, we've plateaued when it comes to the number of fatalities and that we will see a decline this year. I'll tell you, just in looking at January, our fatalities are down quite a bit. I don't, I don't want to overstate what's going on, but uh, we are heading in the right direction, even though we're just a, couple, a few weeks into the year. Well, good news like that will grab on to you. So tell us, is there a way for people to find out more about this? Do you have a website specifically for this information? Yeah, go to uh, codot.gov forward slash safety, and you can learn all about our safety campaigns. And I've been on that website, and it is so informative. So I encourage every listener to take a moment and do that. Well, I'd like to thank Sam Cole, Traffic Safety Communications Manager for the Colorado Department of Transportation for joining us today. This has been a lot of wonderful information, and so thank you for your time. My pleasure, Carl. Thank you so much. This has been Issues and Answers from Town Square Media. If you would like to suggest a topic for our weekly program, simply open our station app and hit the app chat feature to send us a note about an issue you would like to hear discussed on Issues and Answers. You can also reach us by phone by dialing 970-242-7788. I'm Carl Hughes. Join us next week for another round of Issues and Answers with Town Square Media.